Hello and welcome to the Over the Farmgate podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host, Head of News, Abby Kay. The England Woodland Creation Offer from DEFRA and the Forestry Commission is now available. If you're a farmer or land manager, you could receive over £10,000 for every hectare of woodland you create. You'll also get free expert guidance every step of the way. Because when you plant trees, you plant the future. You plant a legacy which rewards you now and for generations to come. Put down roots. Visit gov.uk forward slash woodland creation. England only conditions apply. Chattering and laughter. The sound of a thousand farmers enjoying a meal at an FU conference last week. But some of the attendees enjoyed DEFRA Secretary George Eustace's appearance at the event a little less than the lamb, beef and chocolate tart served up at the formal dinner. It's difficult to say, but I don't think he's as strong as he initially was. Um, but whether that's, that's because he's under more pressure uh, from within the Cabinet, um, I don't know. But I'm, I'm not sure that he's, he's quite the, the, the powerful representative he was when he, when he first started. I think he will be under incredible pressure, perhaps from Number 10 and the Cabinet Office, perhaps moved away from the core principles of food production. And I, lo- I would like to say today I've, I've come round to some more of his thinking, but having said that, it's still many of the things that he's outlined is still in conflict with what many of the people here today are discussing and the people that are actually day-to-day running food businesses, be that processing, farming, you name it. it, They're still not marrying up, so something's wrong somewhere. Those were the voices of Richard Findlay, the NFU's Livestock Board Chairman, and Lancashire beef farmer Matthew Rollison. But they were not alone at the conference in asking the question, has Mr Eustace lost his mojo? NFU President Minette Batter certainly pushed the Minister harder than ever during a question and answer session after his very short set-piece speech, which contained few new announcements. But during a press conference after the session, Mr Eustace defended the government's record in office and denied claims from Mrs Batters that it was simply lurching from crisis to crisis with no plan for farming. Uh, the, the truth is, was the COVID um, pandemic a, a crisis? Yes, it was a global uh, crisis, a global uh, problem. Um, had there been uh, supply chain issues globally as a result of that? Yes. Uh, is there a global spike in gas prices that's affecting industry right around the globe? Yes. Um, are we immune uh, from that? No, of course we're not. So, uh, um, yes, there have been a series of supply chain issues that have followed the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, but I don't accept this caricature that we're going from one crisis to another. When it comes to our agriculture policy, we've had a clear and consistent uh, direction of travel since 2016. But what did Mrs Batters make of this? I caught up with her to ask and to discuss the NFU's new report, British Farming, a Blueprint for the Future, which was published at the conference. What did you think of Mr Eustace's performance yesterday? I think the more I, I engage and the more I see now of this government's thinking, I, I think it is very much focused on environmental delivery uh, to a certain extent at the expense of, of food production. I think it is sort of appearing now a policy that is really in opposition to food production. And the breakdown of the budget and the conversation around that I probably thought was the, the most interesting. You know, we've got the sort of 33-33-33 split, um, which leaves a huge percentage of the budget effectively going into agri-environment. And 
the whole industry signed up to approach that actually said, you know, through that transition period, if we can put a minimum of 65% into the optimization of the sector into the sustainable farming incentive, that is what's needed. Um, I think it's work in progress with influencing them. They're a very powerful majority government. Um, I think he got that message yesterday. Will he act on it? They put these pathways of legislation on species recovery, on nature recovery in place. And they've done it on the premise that they are going to take 30% of land out of production. I think there are massive issues with that. Um, so I will continue to challenge it and work with him to influence it. But I think there are enormous issues. I represent people and people will be farming those landscapes. What does it mean for them? Were there any areas that you thought he was particularly weak on? I do think all of this time down the road, you know, every platform he is on, he talks about being free from the shackles of the EU. And there is no doubt in my mind, we have enormous opportunity now to define a very different future and to be world leaders in, in climate smart agriculture. But I'm really struggling to see with the policy on the table, A, how we get 70% of farmers onto the sustainable farming incentive platform, how we make sure that tenants are not disadvantaged in the new thinking. And we cannot afford to lose this opportunity. We've got a, an unprecedented crisis in the pig industry. I felt he, he showed very little empathy. Um, the pig farmer that I talked about, I had an email from them at half past four this morning. They had just sent uh, 300 pregnant sows off. And I didn't feel he showed any empathy for them at all. And I said yesterday, you know, they had written three times. And, and I guess that's my worry. You know, it, he's in a very, very powerful position to shape the future and um, a lot is at stake. Do you grow maize and want to maximise your crop performance this year? Well, help is at hand. Just download the LG Maize Manager app. It will help you find the best varieties for your farm that maximise energy yield to improve feed performance. The app features a brand new LG Animal Nutrition section, which highlights the potential savings that could be made by switching to a maize variety with superior nutritional qualities. These LGAN varieties provide a simple and cost-effective way for you to increase feed efficiency and reduce costs. Find out more by downloading Maze Manager for free today. You've published the document, A Blueprint for the Future of Agriculture, this conference. What are the most important messages in that document, would you say? I think what that document brings to life is, is join up. You know, it's not, it's not, there's not one silver bullet. Everything needs to be joined up. And, you know, the Secretary of State was talking a lot about... Um, sustainable intensification being linked to glasshouse production. You know, we need a lot more glasshouses. Well, there's massive issues with planning. You know, how is planning uh, of the future levelling up? How is that going to fit with the agricultural sector? Um, you know, very much a big part of the blueprint is, is education. We've always been calling for agriculture to be linked to STEM learning, um, building brand Britain, you know, selling more at home and abroad, working with government it's again been hard fought to get the eight attaches, but we've got eight attaches, and that's a that's a big step in the in the right direction. But what it does show is the need to join up across departments, and you know, seventy percent of this country is a farmed landscape, so there is unprecedented opportunity out there if the policy environment is right. So the blueprint really does show how we can join things up, how we can 
can really drive a, a new economic future, not just through the traditional paths, the diversification, but creating these new trades on water quality, biodiversity, carbon credits. The point I fundamentally wanted to make yesterday was we've got to drive investment back into the land. At the moment, the farmer is held, holding too much responsibility, too much cost. Um, and, you know, food prices, it's hard to see them rising with the inflationary costs that we're facing. So I think the blueprint for me is about join up across government. He talked about sustainable intensification in the horticulture sector and the opportunity for import replacement. How does that stack up with labour policy? Well, it, quite frankly, it doesn't. I mean, growers have been put through the mill this previous weekend when not an email, a document landed from the Home Office on Friday with the Labour providers outlining, um, you know, the, the new rates of pay, the, the salary approach to seasonal workers. And, you know, he has committed and he publicly committed yesterday to 1010, £10.10p, that document refers to an hourly rate of £12.31. Now, George Eustace said that that was basically a mistake had been made, but it was a document from Home Office. So it remains to be seen, actually, whether it was a mistake. I find it very hard to see why they would send out a document, but ultimately the market can't afford it. £12.31, we are going to see growers exit the sector. So we've really got to, I guess you know, look at a joined up approach. That's why I said we've got to have a dial up, dial down immigration policy. The current one does not work for growing the horticultural sector. It's hard to even maintain it at what it is. It's already contracted. It will contract further when we know there is massive demand to grow more. The blueprint document that you've published talks a lot about climate friendly farming and you've mentioned it just now. Do you think a lot of farmers are still unclear about A, how to measure their carbon footprint and B, how to reduce it. I mean, is there anything more that government can do in this area oh. to encourage farmers to work in a climate-friendly way? I, I think, you know, the most important thing probably that government should be doing, I'm working certainly with the Scots and the Welsh, and I think there is broad agreement when I've spoken to the Scots and the Welsh on this, is agreeing how we are going to measure where we are effectively on soil health and, and on carbon. And if we can agree, it doesn't necessarily matter so much the tool that is used but we need to be using one level of metrics that's going to be absolutely essential and if we could agree that and we could get behind one methodology going forwards we can then build from that but at the moment uh, we're not in that place Jeffra saying that they're three four years away I don't get that feeling from the Scots uh, or the Welsh and I think that's where the first join up should come the document also talks about the importance of getting farm policy right. What can government do to ensure that ELM works for farmers? So what practical changes would the NFU seek to make sure that that happens? I think it's all about getting the SFI right and fit for purpose for every sector. We don't have a moorland scheme. You know, two-thirds of the United Kingdom are less favoured area. We don't have a moorland scheme on the table. Um, we don't have a horticultural scheme on the table. Um, we have massive requirements, legislation requirements on clean air, clean water. So things like the slurry investment scheme. You know, this transition has got to be about paving the way for a match fit future for farming across all sectors. So what we brought together with that white paper was, was very much a points-based approach. You know, if you didn't do anything, you didn't get anything. But the more you did, effectively, the more you got. Are you happy with the standards that have been published so far, though, on, on soils and whatnot? Do you think they are going to work in practice or are you seeking a change? 
as you say, so as, uh, from what we've seen at the moment, there isn't enough profit in it for farmers. Um, that's why we've done two rounds of Anderson's number crunching on their model farm system. We've got another round of that happening on the work that will come out on the schemes in the summer. And, uh, you know, we, we want to see uh, a better level, higher level of resource to make sure the plan can be actioned on the ground. Are you talking about taking that resource from the other two components of ELM or just saying, actually, we need to increase the budget altogether overall? Well, he very much talked, the Secretary of State talked about, you know, we're out of pillars, we're out of the EU, there's total flexibility. So my call to him is, we'll fully incentivise the scheme and then farmers will base their businesses on it. Regulatory reform is another area the document touches on and it's one that hasn't really been talked about a lot since Dame Glenis Stacey's review. What changes are you looking for in the regulatory sphere to help farmers? Well, I think this is a really interesting area. And I think, you know, if we take farming rules for water as an example, and I tried to push the Secretary of State on it yesterday, um, you know, where does the power lie? I mean, he was quite clear yesterday, actually, you know, the power lies, you know, with government. And the EA will have to be, as the agencies will all be, he said, uh, accountable to Parliament. I don't think farmers or us are necessarily seeing that. We're seeing, you know, the agency still with a lot of power and um, not that much accountability. So a lot will depend on what Farming Minister uh, Victoria Prentice can achieve with the effectively the advice now on how we deliver uh, farming rules for water. Did you expect an apology from Eustace or from Emma Howard Boyd, actually, about the communication disaster that has been farming rules for water? I think there was sort of acknowledgement that it was not done right. But no, I don't think there was the acknowledgement that of the... You know, I think what they tend to forget, and we saw it again with the Home Office document that came out to the growers, you know, these are people running businesses. They are running businesses that they are having to plan ahead on. And when things like the regulatory position statement land with no warning, DEFRA ministers not even knowing about it, that is unforgivable because it stops people planning ahead and it paralyzes their businesses and it it causes enormous stress. Um, and, and that's the bit and the bit that I felt George Eustace was lacking yesterday was quite honestly just empathy for what farmers are going through. They all want to do the right thing, but let's work together and let's make sure there is plenty of warning and that we're doing the right thing. I mean, I don't think farming rules for water, actually, that regulatory position statement was not going to help anyone. It wasn't going to do anything for water quality because it was basically forcing spreading onto bare land in the spring. Um, and we've got to get to a place where actually by we're making better use of those resources. So, uh, no, the communication and, and I didn't think there was an apology at all. No apology from government on farming rules for water then. But the NFU does have a refreshed top team to keep pushing ministers on policy. At the office holder elections, which took place on day two of the conference, Mrs Batters, who stood for president unopposed, was given a new vice president to work with. David Exwood, South East Regional Board Chairman and first generation beef and arable farmer, beat ex-NFU Cymru President John Davies and Tom Warnham, National Poultry Board Chairman, to take the Vice President role. His victory over Mr Davies came as a surprise to some who had believed the Welshman would clinch it. Here he is discussing his win. Delighted and honoured to be elected. There's so much work to do and now the hard work begins. But I think, look, we've got a great team. I'm delighted to be working alongside... Uh, Minette, Tom and Alid, I think we will get on really well and I hope we can, I hope we can really work for, for British farmers and, and really deliver. 
Mr X was predecessor as vice president, Tom Bradshaw, also beat Mr Davies in the challenge for the deputy president role. It's uh, you know such an amazing opportunity. It's a fantastic organisation to be part of, and you know the challenges that are, are out there at the moment. They're affecting our members' businesses. And, you know, are so significant that we've got to get government to a position where they really are working with us to provide the solutions so that we can produce sustainable food, look after the environment, and try and drive fair returns for the industry. So it's an amazing challenge. I mean, it's great to be working with Manette for another two years. Congratulations to David on getting ele- elected, and yeah, it's uh, a big, big job of work ahead of us. So it's uh, an incredible time, and uh, I don't expect that in the next two years will be any duller than the last two. A big job of work ahead, indeed. Someone else who has a big job of work ahead is new Labour Shadow Deputy Secretary Jim McMahon. Mr. McMahon, MP for Oldham Western Wrighton, was appointed to the role by Labour leader Sakia Starmer during his latest reshuffle in November 2021. Mr McMahon has previously served as Shadow Minister for Housing, Communities and Local Government and Shadow Secretary of State for Transport, where he worked on key issues affecting the food and farming sectors, such as HGV driver shortages. He also served on the Leveling Up Housing and Communities Committee and has raised awareness of a lack of digital connectivity in rural areas. But prior to his defer appointment, he had not mentioned farmers or farming in Parliament in the six years he had been an MP. I caught up with him at the conference to ask whether he was finding the new job a steep learning curve and if he would stick to his predecessor, Luke Pollard's commitment to maintain some kind of direct support for English farmers. Well, I mean, I come from the retail side in a sense because uh, I chair the Cooperative Party uh, and we're funded through the Retail Society, of course, who are sponsoring the NFU conference uh, today. So kind of very much part of our bread and butter, like literally speaking, in terms of our political movement as the sister party to the Labour Party. In terms of the transition, I mean, I, I, I love the transport brief. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, um, during Brexit, uh, there was lots of churn, a lot of turmoil. Uh, and from a political point of view, lots of opportunities to go out there and show leadership. And so we did that. And, you know, when the reshuffle came, you know, the, the environment brief is huge. Mm-hmm. It covers such a broad range of activity, but in such a deep way, the people who care about their bit of the environment brief really care about it. Uh, and there are lots of different competing demands, uh, really, about farming, about nature, about diversity, about cleaning up our land and water systems, uh, etc. So there's a lot to get a grip with. But I, I would say having organisations like the National Farmers Union uh, make the job a lot easier. You know, they are absolutely on the ball. They have a plan for their industry and they know absolutely every pressure point. So in a way, coming to conferences like this make the difference. Your predecessor has suggested that Labour could keep some element of direct support in future in order to help farmers manage volatility. Is that something that you would look to do? Well, in a sense, Elms tries to do that without saying it's going to do it. What it doesn't do, I mean, but it should, if it works well, it ought to. As in, you recognise that you want to do three things, don't you? You want to make sure that you do the big projects that will like make a big difference to our UK carbon footprint. Uh, a big difference to our diversification of land use, and you'll do that with the big landowners. You want to make sure that farms who can do more to provide natural habitats and rewild do that as part of a mixed land use strategy. And then you want to support actually farming production. And I think it's how you craft the three of those so it's coordinated. You don't allow city firms on one hand to do it independently outside of a strategy. You feed it into the main programme of, of, of that larger interventions. But also, you, I think you, we can do more to support farmers with a basic payment where we know that their financial model won't be sustainable, but our UK food security relies on it to put food on the table. And that's where I think the government probably have got their eye off the ball. I don't particularly see that the UK food security plan is tied into ELMS uh, in the way that it ought to be. 
And if I'm honest, and I, I hear this from farmers, it's not just me saying it politically, I hear it from farmers who will say it feels as though the government's strategy, although they won't say it, is to wind down farming production in favour of just importing the cheapest. Yeah. And when you look at elms, it's hard not to arrive at the same conclusion. So we absolutely would reform that. And if part of that is introduced in a form of basic payments in a very explicit way, so it's safeguarded and ring fenced, then we should do it. I also asked Mr McMahon about the Animal Welfare Bill, which is currently making its way through Parliament. The legislation will create a new Animal Sentience Committee, which some have claimed could be weaponised against the interests of the UK's farming community. The bill's draft terms of reference suggest the committee could have a role in scrutinising policy and be given powers to report on past and present rules. And there have been calls for animal rights activists, such as PETA representatives, to sit on it. We're really concerned, actually, that the animal protections, that obviously Labour is really keen to make sure that the buyers hire animal protections, uh, whether that's trophy hunting, public smuggling uh, and the rest of it. And the law should help us get there sooner. But it strikes me there are so many tensions in Cabinet that Boris Johnson being weaker uh, actually runs a risk of this legislation falling down. Uh, so we're really watching now to see if it comes through in its entirety uh, in the way that it was set out. And I think it probably won't. I think there'll be things that will be stripped away from it that will make it uh, really muted. Or if, even if it collapses before it finds its full way through, through Parliament, in terms of the balance of animal welfare, uh, having those basic standards in place versus some of the tensions, which I think is kind of what you, you get into directly, then we'll, we'll work through that. But where it comes to issues like um, the badgical uh, and TB and control uh, of, of land use, you know, we, we do need to move towards better forms of managing that. Uh, and the call isn't the way to do that as far as we're concerned. But how we support farmers to manage that, we're keen to do. And probably the truth is, the government isn't doing enough on that in terms of vaccinations and the rest. When asked whether Mr McMahon believed government claims that the badgical is working were accurate, this was his response. Well, it's working, yeah, in, in, in the sense that you have a dead badger at the end of it. Mm. <laughs> um, but, but, but in itself, it's not stopping the, the, the spread of TV because there's no vaccination policy in place to reduce uh, the spread of, of live animals in the sets. And so I do think we need to think about that. We need to think about new technology uh, and the way that we can deploy it. And, you know, by the time you have caught uh, a badger for it to, to be killed, you know where the badger is. Uh, and we need to look at different ways of trying to deploy a vaccine uh, to combat TB. Are you talking about a badger vaccine? Well, the, the detail of it would be for people who are more <coughs> expert than I. But what I can say is that our commitment to raising animal welfare uh, is absolutely firm. But we are pragmatic and we recognise that we're going to have to work with different industries depending on the issue to find a way through that. So if Labour came into power in 2024 or 2025, whenever the next general election or happens to be... Three. Or three. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you just stop calls instantly from the moment that you took office or would you wind them down in, in a... Yeah, the, the, well, I mean, naturally, just being pragmatic, the first Queen's speech will only contain so much new legislation. You know, there's only so much that Parliament can get through. Uh, and part of the manifesto process will be trying to wrestle the art of the possible as part of that. But even if it was in the first Queen's speech and it came in the first 100 days, there would naturally be a transition period uh, to allow that transition to take place. We'd need to see what the art of the possible is in terms of alternative ways of controlling TB. And we'd need to take expert advice. Listen, it's not for, I don't think, a politician to stand here and try and uh, articulate what a medical expert should be doing. It should be led by the evidence all the time. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you to our listeners. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd like to ask a favour. You can help us attract new listeners by giving us a five-star rating and review on your preferred platform. In the meantime, you can also subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. 
Until next week, from us at FG, thank you for listening.